Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks to us. And as we come to this passage, not a passage that I chose, but in your providence, a passage that is before us over this morning, and we wonder how fitting it is to our times. So please speak to us, please warn us, comfort us, challenge us, and give us the grace to obey you this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Can I just check the mind out enough? Yep. You're up, right? Actually, can an old person please say yes? Let me ask you this to begin. If I told you you had to choose between being loyal to the Lord Jesus and his teaching and your dream job, what would you do? Let me make that a little bit more concrete. Imagine you're a caregiver and somebody you're caring for with terminal cancer asks you one day, where will I go when I die? And you long to tell them of the Lord Jesus who loves them, who died on the cross that sinners may come into heaven. But as you look around the room where there are other people, you know that if you speak of Jesus, speak of religion, you could be reported and lose your job. Honor, what do you do? Perhaps you're a teacher, or a Bible in schools teacher. I guess as you try and give honest answers to pupils and students, you know this kind of pressure. I read recently of a case of a Christian who uh, was training at university to be a social worker, and on his Facebook page, he engaged in some debates about gay marriage. And as far as I can tell, he'd been respectful, he'd uh, been biblical, he'd, he'd stuck to what the Bible says, but one of uh, his friends saw his comments, mentioned it to his lecturer, and he was called before the university authorities. They told him that even though it was on his private Facebook page, the kind of views that he expressed, the Bible's views, were inappropriate for a public worker such as a social worker. He was dismissed from his course. Well, that was in England. But I imagine by the time some of you guys were back in high school or at university, that could well be the situation here. Imagine yourself standing with all those professors. What will you do? Will you stick loyal to Jesus and ruin your dream career before it starts? Or will you compromise? Parents, grandparents, if that were your child, what would you say? What would you say to the young people in this church? Well, in today's passage, Jesus tells us very clearly, he tells the apostles to expect opposition. The world will hate them. And this will take different forms from mild social stigma to we see in verse 2 of chapter 16, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when you will be killed. And Jesus says this to the apostles, many of whom were in fact killed for their faith. But as we look around the world today, as we read church history, we know that this goes beyond the apostles. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? But many of our brothers and sisters this morning are not gathered in a nice hall like this in public, but are hidden in fear that there might be a knock on the door and they're dragged away, arrested or worse. Jesus tells us, if you're a Christian, you will be hated. And he tells us why he says, Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. I have told you this, so you will not go astray. Well, friends, my job this morning, my somber job this morning, is to warn us we will be hated. 
And the reason is the same as Jesus tells us. So that we will not go astray. So that when it comes in our schools or our offices or wherever we are, we will not fall away, but we'll stick close to Jesus. I've got three points this morning. The first is this. The world hates Christians because we do not belong to the world. The world will hate Christians because we do not belong to the world. Remember verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, which from the rest of the passage, clearly there will be times when the world will hate us. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, and that is why the world hates you. What is the world? In John's Gospel, it's almost a technical term. It stands for all sinful opposition to God, our human rebellion against God. The world stands for every attitude, every action that refuses to submit to God as King. And the fact is that at one time, every single one of us in that room was part, in this room was part of the world. But then there was a time when we heard the gospel. Somebody told us of the good news of Jesus, of a Savior who, who died for us. And God used that to change our hearts, to call us out of the world, to choose us out of the world, that we might enter his kingdom. And he loved us. And we love him for a Christian. Our ultimate loyalty no longer is to the world, but it's to Jesus, our Savior. And the world hates us because we're different. A friend of mine was a new Christian. And she went with some friends to a stand-up comedian. And a few weeks before, she had laughed at the crude innuendo, sexual jokes. <clears throat> but on that evening, she didn't find them funny. And so there was a big group, bigger than this. And she was sat down the front, and she didn't laugh. And she was the only one in the room. And after a while, the comedian realized she wasn't laughing. And soon, he turned the jokes on her. And then she continued not to laugh. The jokes quickly became abuse. The world hates what is different. Or think of the Christian who refuses to drink too much with their friends or dabble in drugs. The Christian who refuses to sleep with their boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage because they long to be loyal to Jesus. Well, the pressure's there, isn't it? The subtle, needling pressure to join in. And the worst of it, I guess, is that if they did, just drink a bit too much, just go with the boyfriend, just laugh at the comedian, then they're no longer different, and the hatred ends. That's why, of course, it's so tempting to join the world, isn't it? Look at verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Well, in the light of Motion 29, as the church chooses to bless same-sex unions, is it no surprise that the secular press loves it, rejoices at the news? The church is behaving like the world, and so the world loves them. But before we point the finger out there, it'd be easy to do that, wouldn't it, to point at those who compromise. We need to just examine ourselves. Friends, how are we different? I wonder, are we different? In the way we live, in the way we use our money, in the people we open our homes up to. Are we different to our neighbours? 
It will belong for our children. That's a great testament. What do we long most dearly for our children? Are we any different to our neighbours in the world? In how we use our retirement time? Well, if we are different, then you can guarantee there will be times when we're sneered at, when we're mocked, because we're different to the world and so it hates us. But it's not just because we're different, are we? I guess every minority, from time to time, finds it hard to be different. But this goes much, much deeper. The world hates Christians for a much deeper reason. This is the second point. The world hates Christians because it hated our master, Jesus. The world will hate Christians because it hated our master, Jesus. Verse 20, Jesus says again, Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's a striking thought, isn't it? The most loving man in history, the one who always loved God, always loved neighbours, who, who healed those who were sick, who touched the leper, had compassion on the weak. And the world's response to that most loving man, they hated him. We hated him. And they tortured him and nailed him to a cross. But it says in verse 25, they hated him without reason. But why? What is the motivation? Verse 21, they will treat you this way, they'll hate you, because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. Because they do not know God. And Jesus comes teaching about God the Father. He does miracles that point to the Father's goodness. And it convicts the world of their sin. It shows the world that it's rebelling against God and the world hates Jesus for it. No need to turn back to it. But uh, in John chapter 3, we read this. Light has come into the world. That is Jesus. The light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that his deeds or her deeds will be exposed. The world hates Jesus because it exposes the world's sin. And if we know anything about Jesus, this tells us we're doubly guilty. Not only have we rebelled, first of all, but we've seen Jesus in the pages of the Bible. For those around the first apostles, they saw those miracles firsthand, and so they're doubly guilty. They rebelled, and then they refused to come back. So we read in verse 24, If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated me and my Father. Friends, I wonder if Jesus' binary nature, the black and white, hate or love, makes us a little bit uncomfortable. But Jesus is clear, rejecting him is hating him. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, and Jeff told us, reminded us, that if you, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. But the opposite of loving is hating. If we refuse to keep Jesus' commands, we find that we are hating Jesus and hating his Father. But of course, the way that hatred is expressed is not black and white. There's many ways to hate. Think of, say, the rich young ruler. That young man who came to Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looked at him with love 
And Jeremy pointed out that he loved his money more than God, that he was suddenly hating God in his heart. And we're told he left Jesus sad. He hated God because he loved his money. What a contrast, those to the Pharisees who see Jesus' great love to the outcasts, to sinners, and they boil up in rage. They, they drive him to the cross. Such obvious hatred. But the root is the same. Jesus exposes their love of themselves, their hatred of sinners, their lack of love for God. And just as the light of Jesus exposes the deeds of the world, and so the world hates Jesus, in the same way we, as we live amongst the world, shine Jesus' light and convict the world of sin. Hannah was my friend at university. She'd been a Christian all her life, grown up in a Christian home. And um, in the last few months of our time at the university, she desperately wanted a boyfriend. She was a lovely girl, pretty girl. I don't know why none of the Christian boys would, would go out with her. But the only boy who was nice to her was uh, a, a, a nice guy, but not a believer. And Hannah wrestled with that in such, such detail. She knew if she went with him, she was walking away from Jesus. She said to me one day, I know Jesus doesn't want me to marry someone who doesn't believe in him, but I don't know what to do. And she wrestled. And then sadly, she chose the boy. Then we graduated, we left the university. I didn't keep in touch with her. But two years later, I had to go to a formal dinner. And I, as I sat down, there was a space next to me. And a few moments later, Hannah walked in. And she began to sit down, and then she recognised And without a word, she didn't say hello, she turned her back. She hated me. Not, I don't think, because of me, but because of who I reminded her of. I reminded her of Jesus, whom she betrayed. Your friends in the same way. If you were in your office and your colleagues routinely overcharge clients, and you stand up and expose your colleagues' greed, they will hate you. If you go out of your way to befriend someone who's looked down on in your school or your care home, no doubt the bullies will turn on you because you expose their hatred. No sense that I guess it would be remiss in the light of this passage, not to say something, not to apply this to ourselves in the light of motion 29. As we stand up, as Jay stands up and says that we cannot go to the church as it seeks to bless the prodigal sins, it seeks to bless uh, gay unions, we will be hated. Some will, will uh, do that irrationally, not understanding. But it's a striking call, isn't it? There would be some LGBT activists who would say to other LGBT activists, why do you keep trying to get Christians to change their minds? The Bible is clear, they would say. LGBT activists would say, the Bible is clear, why do you want the church to change? So interesting question, isn't it? I guess there are many reasons for that, but one is surely this. Deep down, some of those activists know what they're doing doesn't have God's approval. And they long for the church. They long for God's approval. And as we stand up and say we cannot give you that approval, not because we hate you, but precisely because we love you. We love you and we cannot lie to you and say what God says is wrong is right. 
Carol said, it's okay to be in the world and envy the world. We long for you to come back. But our stand pricks their conscience. And so their response is hatred. I guess, too, there'll be some who are in the church. There are some in the church who, who agree with us in principle, who will disagree on tactics. And, and friends, we must pray that we stay united. We'll all have different responses to this. But there'll be those who agree that what the church has done is wrong, but we respond differently. We mustn't fall out. But there will be some who change their mind, who did stand with Jesus, did stand with us, who changed their position. And I guess for those people, when we meet them, they may well be like Hannah. They know they betrayed Jesus, and our presence before them reminds them of their master who they betrayed, and so they hate. But when they hate, they hate because they hated our master, Jesus, and we remind them of him. Now, of course, it's worth checking that we're not hating because we're tweeting obnoxious things, that we're not hating because we're not hating because we can't control our tongues and we keep saying stupid things. If that's why we're hated, we deserve it. Let's be very, very careful what we say publicly on Facebook, on Twitter. If you're hated because you say something obnoxious, you deserve it. But friends, if we're hated because we stand with Jesus, then we're hated because of him. Just work, going back to verse 20, we skipped over it. Jesus said, remember the word I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And it's just a danger in there that we think, if I just be nice, if I'm just clever in what I say, if I'm just wise with my words, we'll avoid the persecution. And the danger is, when we think like that, we think we're greater than Jesus. I was reading my quiet time last week, a couple of chapters on from where we are in John. And Peter, we, we read of Peter's denial. You know the story that, that Jesus was led away to the high priest and Jesus goes inside and Peter's outside and the guards and others ask him, are you a follower of Jesus? And he denies it. And in John's gospel, it's broken into two. We see Jesus deny Jesus. And then we see Jesus inside, saying what he's always said, I am a king, and he's slapped in the face. He's outside. And he's asked, do you belong to Jesus? And he says no. He's treated far greater than Jesus. Jesus is mocked and hit in the face. Peter's allowed to stand by the wall of fire. But the price of that was to deny his master. Friends, we are not greater than Jesus. And the Christian's greatest danger is not persecution. Our greatest danger is not death, even. It's to deny our master. We can be treated greater than Jesus. Only if we deny him, if we join the world and turn our backs on him. Someone said, He who stands closest to the king will be hit by the archers. You know the idea that the archers are trying to take out the king, and those who stand near him will Friends, if we stand close to Jesus, we will be hit by the archers. But we're hit because we stand next to him. And when it happens, rejoice. It's because he's your master. It's because you're with him. Well, therefore, the application. Third point. Don't be surprised. Don't fall away. Keep 
testify. Don't be surprised. Don't fall away. Keep speaking of Jesus. Look at verse 26. When the counselor comes, whom I'll send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes from the Father, he will testify about me. I wonder if you could gear change here. It's a slightly odd verse. Some scholars even say that this is what dislocated. Jesus had been talking about the Holy Spirit. He will later talk about the Holy Spirit. Why, why does he suddenly bring up the Spirit? But think about it. When the pressure's on, what is the most tempting thing to do? Surely it's to stop speaking about Jesus. Batten down the hatches, looking on ourselves, become exclusive. Jesus says no. The Holy Spirit is given to testify to the world about Jesus. And in the same way, verse 27, you apostles must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. We're not apostles, but we too know about Jesus. We too must keep testifying. And of course, that shapes our response to the world. The world may hate us, but we cannot hate the world. We must keep testifying. We must keep holding the gospel out in love. We have a glimmer of hope, don't we, in verse 20. Though those who persecute Jesus will persecute us, those who would have obeyed Jesus will obey us, will listen, will leave the world and come into the kingdom. Maybe there's some here this morning. It's wonderful you're with us, but you know in your heart of hearts that you don't belong to Jesus, you belong to the world. Would you see Jesus says, come out of the world. He bled on that cross for you, that you might be forgiven. Make peace with him this morning. Perhaps come to Christian Explore this Tuesday, there's still room. We'd love to have you ask your questions of Jesus. But you see the warning. If you too become a Christian, then you will be hated. You'll be hated. And Jesus is utterly realistic about what that meant. Look at verse 2. They will put you out of the synagogue, thus throw you out of the church. And in that context, that means throw you out of your community. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering service to God. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? They kill someone and it's easy to God. But think, for many today, in a Muslim country, say, professing Jesus as Lord is a death sentence. Well, mercifully, it seems very unlikely that will ever happen here. But it could well cost us our jobs. It could well cost us our pensions. It almost certainly will cost us friends. It will cost us status. People will love and mock and will hurt. And Jesus warns, do not be surprised. We see verse 3. They do such things because they do not know me and they have not known the Father. But friends, we do, don't we? We know God. We know how wonderful he is. We know the Lord Jesus. We know how he was hated so that we might be free. We walk, don't we, in his footsteps. And we know that just as Jesus was hated, and then he died, so he rose in glory. And so too we will be hated. We will suffer here. But one day, glory awaits us. But it finished, I'd love to tell you about John Chrysostom. Some of you may know this story. John Chrysostom was a fourth century leader, such a great preacher that a thousand years later, John Calvin was still calling him the golden tongue. And he preached fearlessly against sin. And he, his, something he said offended the empress. And so he was called before the emperor. And the emperor threatened to banish him. And Chrysostom replied like this, 
So you cannot banish me, for the world is my father's house. Imagine that, standing before the emperor, all this is his power. He cannot banish me. The emperor then said, Then I will slay you. Nay, but you cannot, for my life is hid with Christ and God, replied John. Your treasures will be confiscated. Sir, that cannot be either. My treasures are in heaven, where none can break through and steal. Then I will drive you from man, and you will have no friends left. John replied boldly, That you cannot do either. For I have a friend in heaven who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And John was banished. He died on his way into exile. But that most precious thing, the one he loved most dearly, not even the emperor with all his might, could take from John. And friends, Jesus is our most precious thing. The world will hate us because of him. But the world with all its might cannot take him from us. Don't be surprised. Don't worry. Keep speaking about Jesus. Let's pray for his strength to do that. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you do not leave us in the dark, but kindly warn us that hatred, persecution will come. Father, help us to examine ourselves if we're hated because of our folly. Show us that we can turn away from but Father, we want to strengthen us. Help us to be ready so that when it comes, we will not slide away back into the world, but we will stand boldly with Jesus, our Master, who loves us. Help us this week to love him by standing close to him. For his glory's sake. Amen. Mm-hmm.